Record with Furniture Today, a podcast that goes behind the headlines to look at the news and the newsmakers, the people and the personalities that give the furniture industry its unique flavor. I'm your host, Bill McLaughlin, Editor-in-Chief of Furniture Today. Hi, I'm Trisha Yearwood, and you're tuned to Furniture Today's On the Record podcast with Bill McLaughlin. Before we turn to Bill and his guests, I just want to give a shout out to the entire Furniture Today team and remind you that when there's something exciting to announce, you'll read about it first in Furniture Today. And now, here's Bill McLaughlin and On the Record. Greetings uh, to all our listeners uh, and Happy New Year. You are listening to the first edition of the Homefront, which is running as part of the On the Record series, our first edition for the new year 20. 21. Happy New Year, pal. Happy New Year to you, Tom. Thank you. And uh, for our first guest of the year on our podcast, The Home Front, we have Gat Caperton with Gat Creek. Welcome, Gat, and Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year. Yes, sir. Great to, great to be with you guys. Well, thank you. Thank you. And I, I've, I've just got to um, say before we get started, it's great to see another Davidson College um, person here in, in the industry. Gat um, <laughs> graduated, and despite rumors to the contrary, I also graduated from Davidson College. So <laughs> go Wildcats. Okay, go Wildcats. We, there's about three or four of the folks in the industry we call up, and we'll have the, uh, the, the Davidson Mafia in furniture going soon. So uh, yeah, there we go. That's right. right. Well, again, welcome, Gad. I thought this would be a timely discussion um, because you have been in the news of late. Um, Last, like right at the end of December, uh, you announced um, a pretty big expansion project for your for you folks at Gad Creek in in Berkeley Springs, West Virginia. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about that? Oh, yeah. You know, I've. I've always been a little crazy and I've just gotten crazier. Um, uh, you know, it's wild to own a furniture factory in this country and uh, I'm getting ready to make it about, uh, you know, a good bit bigger than it was before, uh, which is exciting. This is, uh, it's been uh, as tough as this, uh, uh, you know, COVID has been for all of us. Um, it is uh, in many ways launched a real uh, a renaissance in the home and uh, home furnishings. And uh, boy, it's you know what's great to be you know be on the way, and uh, you know it's fun. It, it creates a whole different set of challenges, stuff I've never had to manage for, through before. But uh, I'm I'm looking forward to it. This is much more fun than trying to find business every day to keep people busy. <laughs> well, I think you're in a unique position, certainly a domestic manufacturer of case goods, um, solid wood furniture. Um, you know, who, who would have thought uh, to, to be seeing an expansion at this point in time? But in some of your comments that we talked about, you, you were talking about one day dreaming of, of, you know, reaching capacity. It sounds like you're almost exceeding capacity based on the double digit gains you've seen in the last half of 2020. Yeah, it's uh, what a time. People are ordering furniture faster than we could build it. I never thought I'd be in this situation where we're able to add, we could add capacity here about 5% every six to eight weeks, and, and we're doing that. Um, but it's still, uh, we're still playing catch up, and uh, it's tricky. And, you know, when you run a factory, it's hard. When you get behind, it's very hard to catch up. Mm-hmm. And the real challenging thing is 
as soon as you catch up, you overshoot the mark because you have to overproduce to catch up from uh, you know, basically you have to produce more than your incoming orders to catch up. And then uh, then you end up having a scenario like, oh, geez, now I don't I've caught up. Now what? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm a long way from hitting that problem point. But, uh, you know, we're always kind of working towards it. It's uh, yeah. So it's a fun challenge. For sure. Yep. Yeah, your your expansion is going to be basically expanding your plant um, in Berkeley Springs, West Virginia, by about it's about a hundred thousand square feet right now. So when all's and said and done, it'll be about a third. Uh, it'll increase the size of the by about a third, roughly to about one hundred thirty plus thousand square feet. Um, tell us a little. I mean, it's going to change some of the makeup of. I guess how the plant looks. Um, I I've not been to the facility, Powell. You have you been to the plant in the past? Um, yeah, I went up there to visit. Um, oh gosh, Gad, I think it was about probably about two thousand six or seven. It, yeah, it's been, it's half been, ago. Uh, yeah, it's been a long time. <laughs> we need to get there again here soon. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a very different plant than it was then. Um, the uh, uh, yeah, it's a. Uh, it does change things up. So uh, the secret to uh, to a solid wood or a woodworking furniture factory, uh, ironically, is not the woodworking. It's the finishing. And you, you go through everywhere and you're going to find the capacity constraint in about any factory that makes wood furniture, not the, not the table saw or this or that. Uh, it is the finishing line. Um, and... Uh, and that's how we actually manage and, and rate our own capacities, how much we can move through a finishing line uh, in our operation. And we're running a you know hundred thousand dollars a day right now. Um, we, we're going to figure out how to squeeze a little more in um, here and there, uh, but there's there's the, the teacups going to be full soon. Um, and then we'll essentially put down a second finishing line in our operation, uh, which will almost uh, effectively double our capacity. I use the term 75 because I'm presenting the same numbers to the bank, you know, and it's good to be conservative with the bank and uh, yeah. I want to justify it 75. Uh, mm-hmm. But we should, good chance we'll, we'll get, we'll do better. So. Yeah. Well, yeah, go ahead, pal. Yeah. Um, one of the things we've, um, we've had a couple of people on here uh, um, talking about upholstery um, issues, um, you know, some of the crunch they've seen in terms of phone prices, um, phone availability, um, importing components. Now, you guys are a domestic wood producer, and you know, as you, I used to cover case goods, but it's been it's been a while. But I'm wondering, um, as a domestic wood producer, how things are going in terms of wood supply, um, wood pricing. Also, if there are any, if you are looking at um, any imported components, maybe some metal pieces or anything like that, what's your supply chain looking like these days? And you know, the next few months moving forward yeah yeah so uh uh lumber's number one uh finished material number two and then kind of components number three in terms of our, our supply chain uh the lumber story in this country is still very very good we've got uh you know especially the appalachian forest is growing 2.4 times faster and they're pulling trees out mm-hmm. it's a growing forest the supply base is, is robust and really today the amount of timber coming out of the appalachian forest is really less than half it was uh, 15, 20 years ago. Um, mm-hmm. so there's plenty of trees uh, and plenty of sustainability. 
and we're right in the middle of it. So we've had really good, good success in terms of, uh, of timber and, and feel really comfortable long-term there. Our finishing materials basically all come out of uh, Hickory, North Carolina. Um, and, you know, some of petroleum-based, but they're all in good shape playing petroleum these days. Um, and then uh, where we where you have the potential biggest issue are our components. Uh, we don't source at the exception. We do some, you know, the a hardware, decorative hardware like knobs. Eventually, our, our cast is done in China, uh, but that's the only thing we have coming out of Asia. Uh, we have a lot of product coming out of Germany, which is a little bit of a trickier area. We have some, uh, you know, soft closed glides and glide systems and hinge systems uh, that are typically manufactured in Germany. And Germany's struggling with COVID. It's uh, uh, we're getting material, but we're you know it's it's harder than it used to be. Um, so Germany's a little tricky. Uh, Asia, we don't we're just we're not to fool with that. Luckily, and uh, there's lots of wood. Yeah. <laughs> And that wood is also close by. It's within a day's drive of your plant. <laughs> yes, exactly. exactly. <laughs> yeah, we just we just cleared we just cleared a parking lot, you know, and, and uh, it was great. We had timber guys come in with the big machines, and they sent they sent stuff down to the mill. It was great. Oh, that's right. good. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you talk a little bit, Gad, about your the materials that you use. So, so I guess almost all of your materials come from the Appalachian um, uh, chain, essentially. Yeah, almost all of it. We have, uh, you know, uh, some some table glides that come out of uh, just a little north of the Appalachian region, uh, some wood table glides. And some of the walnut that we use comes out of the Midwest. But it's like 95 percent in Appalachia forest and 95 percent within a you know, 350 mile, definitely 500 mile radius of the facility. Yeah. So we're talking about, I guess, like uh, probably some, maybe some maple, oak, and cherry. You you have a nice variety, I, I believe. Yeah, yeah, we do uh, basically all the Appalachian hardwoods. The uh, most interesting, two interesting things in terms of hardwood these days is uh, white oaks in high demand. Uh, there's a barrel shortage, so cooperages are building cooperages in as many barrels as they possibly can these days. Uh, there's also a shortage of whiskey. If uh, if you guys partake in whiskey, it's hard to find whiskey for, for the people drinking more and more of that. And it takes them five years to you know make whiskey or ten years to make fancy whiskey. Uh, so white oak's a little is a little tricky, but they're still doing pretty good. And then ash, we use a lot of ash, and there's a the, there's a there's a tropic supply of ash because the ash emerald borer beetle. We have a blight in the, with ash trees. There used to be five, 56 million ash trees. We're in the 40s now. Oh. this country. So uh, long-term, that's going to come under real pressure. But otherwise, uh, you know, cherry trees and and, the, and uh, the like are growing pretty well. So based on that supply, um, some more limited than others um, or facing issues, uh, you know, in terms of demand, do you see some, is there going to be some stability in the pricing of, of the wood uh, this year, do you think? And, and in the near future, I mean, what is the What's your outlook uh, for that? I do you, I, I obviously keep pretty good tabs on that. Um, it's going to bump up a little bit this year, uh, primarily because it's just been so low the last couple of years. Um, but it'll bump up. It's really an international market, so uh, China dictates a lot of what the pricing is for, ironically, domestic hardwoods here. Yeah. And uh, China uses a lot of oak, so uh, especially the red oak used to be uh, a lot that was exported, and, and a lot of that costing is based on China. Um, China actually uses a lot of that white oak uh, in China. It's uh, the, a minority of it is 
built into furniture and sent back to, to the U.S., ironically. A lot of it goes into flooring and other type of products. Mm-hmm. Um, and the uh, Chinese demand because of tariffs and uh, a couple of changes in the building code for, for uh, oak is way down. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the, so there's, there's plenty of supply right now. It'll yeah. bump up just because it's, you know, what's it, you know. I hate to say it's, you know, it's the, there's a term in finance, a dead cat bounce. You know, it goes down so low, eventually it hits the ground and pumps up a little bit. We'll have a little up bump, but it's, it's, I don't think there's a lot of upward pressure. Yeah. Well, that's good. Well, you know, I'm glad that you mentioned um, this, this second. So there'll be a second finishing line in your expanded facility. Is that correct? Yes. I'm glad you mentioned that, Gap, because I was remiss in not asking you some specifics related to that. Um, but, but that's an interesting, uh, will it be about the same size as your other finishing line or a little, how will it compare? So here's, here's some more fun stuff about this industry. And it, this is kind of the old industry, but it still, it still happened. It's just a, uh, the current visual line that we have, we bought a, uh, we bought, we put it, put in about 12 years ago or 15 years ago. We went to 10 different factories to look at it. And uh, one of the fun things in furniture factories and other folks at finishing lines, it's uh, the longer the finish line, finishing line, the more proud people are of it. So it's a little like having a 10 or 20 gallon hat. Uh, people would love to say, ah, my finishing line's so long and my hat's a 10 gallon hat. I've got this many head of cattle. Uh, so people love talking about the length of the finishing line. Uh, we designed something that, that, that that's not really uh, relevant to. We, that when you have a long finishing line, it's very stagnant. It's very difficult to manage, and you lose a lot. And, and it's uh, you know it's it's a bit of a it's a bit tricky. So we uh, we have a relatively short finishing line and have uh, a chair line and dedicated lines that loop around. And it's proved to be a really effective and flexible system. So essentially, we're going to copy what we have, and uh, it's almost the exact same thing side by side. Um, so we'll uh, have plenty of flexibility, big pieces, small pieces, you know, a lot of finish, a little bit of finish. Uh, it all runs through pretty well. Will the category mix change any um, in, in with this expansion in terms of what you're producing now versus when this comes online? I think at the end of uh, this year, December, I believe, is when it'll be fully operational, I believe. Is that correct? Yeah, that's our hope. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, you know, probably won't change much. We, we expect to expand a bit. At the end of the day, we're pretty humble folk. You know, we'll build we'll build about anything someone wants out of wood and finish it about any way they want. You know, it's still, uh, you know, we're still hungry and are, are, you know, basically set up to do what our customers want. So it'll change and there'll be some ups and downs. Uh, an interesting thing with finishing that we've learned over the last couple of years is that, you know, the real traditional finishes, ironically, are harder to do. Dark finishes are harder to do than light finishes. Uh, you know, big, glossy, fancy finishes are harder to do than natural type finishes. Mm-hmm. Um, so t- today, the trend is, you know, to, towards natural finishers, finishes, lighter finishes. Uh, so that's been a big, nice advantage to us. So we're hoping we keep going in that direction, but we'll chase mm-hmm. whatever, whichever way a customer wants us to go. We'll, we'll, we'll get fancy and dark when we have to. Well, that was something, wasn't it? This is Trisha again for Klausner Home Furnishings. From my very first collection, I knew I'd come to the right place, that Klausner understood what I wanted to do with my furniture, how I wanted to share my recipe for comfortable living with the world. Now let's get back to Bill McLaughlin and see what he and his guests have to share with us. What you were talking about finishes, um, you know, the natural finishes, um, it strikes me, you know, looking at the wine, um, um, 
especially, you know, I used to cut, you know, see it regularly, but, um, you know, the wood is a big part of the story there and, you know, letting the wood, you know, do its thing. Um, it's always been, you know, part, is that, is that still kind of the case, you know, forgive my ignorance here. You know, yeah. you know at the end of the day, the wood's still the sexy part, you know, that's, that's, yeah. that's what we all get excited about. I get excited about, you know, is it a grainy wood? Is it that kind of wood, this kind of wood? Uh, lighter dark woods uh yeah i think uh that is still in, in people's minds just critical um and uh i've always said and really kind of fundamental to our business is you know the best furniture comes from the best wood and uh when you have beautiful wood and you man and you manage it through the manufacturing process so you really come out with stuff with really beautiful boards in it uh it's really pretty special and nice furniture and that's core to what we are so yeah we're we're woodworkers we love that first and foremost yeah, that's a nice sort of refreshing uh, thing to hear, especially um, and 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 there's obviously a market for you know like paper laminates and melamines and things like th- things that are people are, are very proud to say are mimicking the look of real wood, but it's it's not real wood, and and that's certainly something that that you offer as a um, I think a competitive advantage a niche in the marketplace. Um, Gad, have you seen your customer base um, change any? You know, as we saw demand spike in 2020, um, you know, particularly for inline goods, did you see your customer base change any um, during the year? And how does that kind of play out um, into 2021, into this year? Uh, you know, the, the COVID expansion of business, it was basically, it sped everything up and all the trends we talked about just continued further and faster. Uh, what's been nice uh, um, that will continue after we get beyond COVID is that, you know, housing is back. You know, we had a, you know, we overbuilt stuff in the first uh, part of the decade and then we did build, didn't build many houses for a decade. And now, you know, we're, we actually have a healthy growing housing market. I think it's going to be really good and be a back, it'd be a tailwind for everyone in this industry for the next decade. And also, we have really good demographics now where, you know, there's 10 million more millennials than there were, you know, Gen Xers. And those millennials are finally getting old enough to buy things like houses and furniture. Yeah. Um, so we've got two really good macro trends helping. Uh, the, the design and, you know, what things look like. Uh, I think they'll consistent. They'll, they'll, they'll stay the same. Uh, the other thing that's, that's changed a little bit that we had, you know, this country's urbanized pretty dramatically uh, over the last two decades. You know, people live outside of large cities. It's been much tougher economies outside large cities and inside large cities. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, that urbanization is, is, is hitting a pause. And it's kind of one of the few trends that have changed a little bit because of COVID. You know, people are moving out of condos and moving out to small houses and, and have the push for urbanization is not going to reverse. I mean, that people, people are moving in mass to Berkeley Springs, West Virginia, but uh, you know, it's gotten a little better. It's good. It's gotten a little less intense. And that's also a plus for furniture because, you know, we, we can sell more furniture in a house than we can a condo. Yeah. Well, what you, well, you hit on something there. One of the things I've noticed, um, Gina and I live far out in the country. We're in what they call the brushy mountains, um, kind of the foothills of the Blue Ridge. And, um, you know, we you hear about exurbs, exurban, exurbanization, mm. and you know we see a lot of new construction here. People are, you know, especially with COVID, people who can afford it, they're buying space, they're buying privacy, and 
you know, we're we're out in farm country, but there's some really, you know, nice new houses going up on some big pieces of land. And um, you know, I I think in the last the last year or so, the amount of like new construction that we see just you know driving to the grocery store, which is 20 minutes away, you know, it's um it, it's it's very noticeable. And you know, it's like you say, you can put more furniture in a house than you can in a park. So anyway. Yeah, it's right. It's nice. it's really nice to see these excerpts and 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 less less urban economies grow. Uh, you know, ultimately, population is a big driver of economies, and as, as these these areas that were depopulating start to repopulate to a certain degree, it's a big impact for everybody. It's it's, it's good. I think one thing many of our listeners may know, but some may not, is that um, in addition to your domestic uh, facility, which is expanding. And you also rely on a network of, um, I believe, Amish and Mennonite um, producers, some smaller workshops. Can you tell us just a little bit about that and how that plays into this? Sure. We've, uh, geez, in many ways, uh, yeah, we've had, we've had basically for this, this company I bought 25 years ago, but for about 40 years, uh, a little over 40 years, nearly 50 years, this company's been working with a family uh, in Kid Run, Ohio. And uh, a network of uh, dedicated workshops uh, that are surround um, our, the, the family we work with in Kidron, and uh, they've been uh, you know a third to forty percent of our whitewood production. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a nice, it's a great uh, group of stuff. Uh, it's a Mennonite family. We got some Mennonites, some Amish, maybe another um, that workforce. But it's a really great cottage industry and a cool uh, fundamental part of what we are. We're really not Amish furniture. We don't do an Amish finish. We don't do all that kind of stuff. We're, the dedicated workshops uh, run by Amish and Midnights for the most part. Uh, we supply all the lumber to these to these operations. So we, we buy all the lumber to our standards, our stock. We have a set st- standards that we work. These are dedicated workshops that work for us exclusively. And, uh, and uh, then we finish everything here and we ship everything from here. So we, uh, in terms of manufacturing, we manufacture in terms of we do a component, at least half of the manufacturing, the finishing component of the manufacturing, 100% of what we ship. We ship 100% from here. And uh, our workshops in Ohio are great. Um, and, uh, you know, during that really tough part of COVID, uh, it was great because you're like, geez, how do you how do you build furniture from home? Well, I actually had an answer to that. We, <laughs> we have called Midnight Shops that did exactly that. Uh, so they actually were able to produce uh, through most of this, uh, which was fantastic. Um, one of the things, Gat, looking at the industry at large, um, you know, in addition to running your own company, you've been heavily involved with the uh, American Home Furnishings Alliance. Uh, they, you know, you were member chair for a while. Um, you spent some time in Washington and, you know, talking to those guys. Is there anything looking ahead this year that you see, um, you know, from a from a government or more macro position that, any any anything that might impact the furniture industry? Sure. Um, um, uh, to to uh, uh, you know a couple things that are interesting in terms of uh, government and macro. Uh, mm-hmm. One is stability. Um, so furniture stability or anti that's the PC way of saying anti tip or the more positive way of saying anti tip. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a couple of bills floating around that, and the and uh, consumer protection. Uh, is become more involved with that. So that continues to be an issue and it's an important issue. Uh, and we've really made great strides on it, by the way, if you really kind of look at the trends, we've, 
we've made the product safer and safer. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it, there's still ways to improve. Uh, but we, we've helped lead a really core way of creating good standards and following those standards. Uh, so that's been great. Uh, we're looking, uh, the, the AHFA has worked hard on, with a bill, with the SOFA bill, uh, looking to try to standardize um, um, the, the requirements uh, for the, is it, it's uh, SOFA's for, uh, I think it's, uh, it's the standards for a, for the burning and, and flammability, I guess, so that you'd have consistent national standards, which are essentially the California standards, which would be really good for the industry. Those are two things that are happening that are positive. Um, and then, uh, you know, there's uh, international trade is, is always a big part of this operation too. Um, the uh, HFA has both manufacturers and importers. So we're not, ter- that, that organization is not terribly involved with trade, but, uh, uh, you know, there's an ongoing story with China, and there's a newer story with uh, with uh, Vietnam and the trade with that. And uh, we're moving through at different administrations, um, so it'll be very interesting to see what what happens there. Yes, indeed. Um, and thank you for for sharing that, uh, Gat. Um, you know, I, I think you mentioned. Uh, you know, we've we've heard a lot about the supply chain, you didn't mention the, uh, the membership of AHFA, both domestic producers and importers. As a domestic producer, really uh, almost entirely made in the USA with, with US materials, wood, finishing materials. Um, you, know, you, you have a, a pretty unique opportunity, it seems like to, and, and I think you've all probably done a good job of this kind of marketing that aspect of your business, of a true domestically made product. What do you see as the um, opportunities in the year ahead for a domestic manufacturer like yourself? I think a lot of people have written off domestic manufacturing and case goods, but but certainly certainly it's alive and well in your case. Well, I like to joke, you know, 10 years ago um, when everything was moving offshores and you would, you'd say, come in, be a at a market or a cocktail party and say you're a domestic wood furniture manufacturer. I mean, people looked at you like you were flat crazy or they looked at you, you know, with like sadness in their eyes, like this is the person that's going to go broke soon. Um, it was really not a, uh, it was really not a good title to carry. Uh, you know, that's changed over the last six, eight, seven years. And, and it's for it that changes furthered a lot in the past year. It's, uh, you know, now today people, uh, really kind of, you know, admired like that. The idea of made in America, you know, years ago was, uh, was a let's just save a job. And as much as we like to save a job, um, you know, ultimately that doesn't ring true with consumers that much. Uh, today, the idea of made in America is, is a much better understood idea. And the idea that something's made in America is, is first and foremost, it's made right. Uh, you know, it's got people that are following uh, you know, timber laws. It's got folks that are filing, you know, labor laws. Folks are doing things right with the environment. Uh, you really do have, uh, you know, you're getting a USA-made product. You're getting something that's really done right. And you're also, while you're buying a product, you're supporting communities like a Berkeley Springs, West Virginia. The people who work here are fundamental to this community. They, they obviously build furniture during the day, but, you know, on weekends, they're, they're, they're Sunday school teachers. They're volunteer fire folks. Uh, you know, we've lost a lot of that fabric of what uh, the, uh, the makeup of rural America and that economy. And uh, when people buy in America, not only do they buy something, they know it's made right, it's going to be safe for their home. 
they're also, you know, supporting, you know, a lot of what we always thought made America great. For sure. And certainly like, you know, when people go into retail, I mean, they're, they're kind of looking to be wowed, you know, and, and when they approach a product like yours, they can kind of, I think the first thing they see from a, a little bit of a distance as they approach is the finish. But when they see the interplay of the finish and the wood story, as you were alluding to earlier, I think that's where they really kind of see the value in, in, in a product like yours. Yeah, this is a I mean, this is a difficult industry. It's a highly competitive industry. It's an internationally competitive industry, um, and uh, you know it's been an industry that's been in oversupply for at least two plus decades, about two and a half plus decades. So it's it's a tough it's a it's a tough business. You you have to earn every sale. Um, the thing that uh, and one of the things I said to one of the day when I, you know ten years ago we were all a little depressed about you know are we going to make it through this whole thing and. You know, uh, uh, and someone said, oh, someone can always make a coffee table cheaper than you can. Yeah, of course they can. Uh, the good news is that, uh, you know, the best-selling car in America is not the cheapest car in America. You know, the best-selling house in America isn't the cheapest house in America. Um, you know, it's not as near that it is the most expensive, but there's really a lot that goes into consumer, what drives consumer decisions and what the consumer truly values. Um, and it's a lot of work to be very competitive to really to, to drive that. And that's both in terms of the product you make and, and how you make it is becoming more and more parts of the consumer. And that certainly has been played into our hands uh, in a nice way, being American. And just we've been continued to focus on that for so long. Very good. Very good. Well, um, you've been listening to the, uh, the Home Front, our first edition of the new year 2021 with our special guest, Gat Caperton, CEO of Gat Creek. Gat, thank you so much again for taking the time to, to spend with Pal and I and our listeners. Um, it's always a pleasure to catch up with you, and, and we really appreciate you sharing your story with us. That's great. It's great to talk to you guys. You're fabulous. Appreciate the coverage. I've, I've listened to a number of your shows already, so uh, I'm, uh, I'm honored to be part of the action today. Thank you, guys. Know right. your friends. <laughs> Thanks, Kat. That's what you're doing here. We'll see you all. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.